0: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 76. I have to say, I'm very, very excited about today's episode. I know you hear me say that every single time, but this was a really special one for me personally. My guest is Jonathan Martin. It's awesome, not just because his name is Jonathan, as mine is, though that is awesome, but Jonathan has been such a constant inspiration and source of encouragement and hope to me through his writing, through his podcasts. Through his presence on social media, yeah, this this has been one of the most wonderful friendship encounter conversations that I've had. We we spent a very long time talking about many many things. We only recorded about half an hour of it because the rest of it was not really appropriate for public consumption. It was two guys uh, who've shared some similar paths, connecting at a deep heart level. So. Uh, I'm so thankful for Jonathan I commend him to you in every way check the show notes for links to his podcast the Zeitcast if by somehow you haven't already been listening to it you can find him at JonathanMartinWords.com there's links to his books there Uh, and I honestly believe Jonathan Martin is embodying the tools and values and uh, suffering and so on that i would say really is is exactly what the next stage of christian life needs to look like especially in the west Uh, you you might simply just sum that up to say jonathan martin is one of the most important pastors in america at this time and I, i firmly believe that so so thank you so much for tuning in if you want to support me and my work You can go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. I would absolutely love to have you as a supporter, and you'll get a nice card from me that I'll put in the mail if you give me $10 a month. You can also give me less. I won't send you a card, but I will send you lovely words and messages. Thank you so much for listening. Anyway, here is Jonathan Martin on the podcast. You know, those of you who are listening are kind of like, how much happens off air? And it totally depends, but Jonathan and I have just riffed for quite a long time off air uh we've been trying to make this interview happen for a long time and and I told you- I'm gonna flatter him on air because i I love i i've I've received so much already out of the last fifty three minutes if there mm. if i if I was wont to have an older brother, which I have never felt like in my life because I am the eldest and eldests are totally sufficient and need nobody um <laughs> it would be Jonathan martin so can I just awkwardly start this off with a little bit of flattery because i it's sincere and genuine uh, how much you and your work means to me. I'm really thankful for the last hour that we've just chatted and connected and what you've shared with me, uh, I feel cared for and loved. So thank you.
1: Well, that's very humbling and very kind. and It means more than you know. I mean, I feel like, I mean, not only are you my namesake. But it's like it it really it's weird, that sense of, every, you know, and this doesn't happen all the time for me when you have that sense of kind of like soul to soul recognition where it's kind of like it feels like we've known each other all our lives or something. And just a yes. sense of like and I think especially um, there's a lot of contours of the kind of journey we've been walking where you end up feeling alone a lot or feeling mm-hmm. kind of on the margins of the, the, the people and places where you came from. So having that sense of community and family and like you belong is is no small thing. So thank you for making me feel seen and known and for that rich, rich encouragement. Because it definitely feels like, in a, and again, that's not so much to say, in kind of a spirit-directed way that we're supposed to be friends. So I just am sorry it took me this long because <laughs> that is entirely on me for being so with and it's more about my lack of admin than anything. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's all good. That's all good. Uh, it doesn't need to be forgiven, but either way, it's done. Um, I'd love to. I mean, obviously, you and I have both been having really present moment conversations with people and and putting out resources to support folks as as we're in this this crisis of, of fear and, and death. And I think. I feel like there's been a trajectory as we get our feet underneath us and then it's like, okay, you know what? We're actually not the first people in the world to suffer. Right. Okay, actually, there's a lot of history behind us that we can turn to. I would love to roll the clock back a year or more and however this lands for you. Because like as you you just said, I have felt like we've been following a similar path in, in, in for quite a while. um, and And you... You seem to have this encounter surrounding you two, and and Bono, and and it seems to be a common thread in all of your work. The Ministry of Bono in your life, and and I could identify with that also. But I remember you you put out something like a year or more ago, and you were I think in Ireland, and you were just kind of like, spirit is stirring. I feel a shift. I feel like there's work to be done,
1: mm.
0: and. And I was in a really similar place. It's like, you know, we've spent all these years tearing down the walls yeah. in our own world, our own mind, our own theology, moving away from certainty, right. starting to build a more robust practice of embodied spirituality. Mm. And what I heard you say from, for Jonathan Puddle, was all of that work must serve a purpose.
1: Yeah.
0: So I'd love to hear uh, what was going on at that time. You can go back as far as you want, contextualize as much as you like. And then and then where is that Arab been shot
1: at? Mm. Oh, such a great question. And I'm glad you brought that up. I wonder if in some ways if there's not a way in which I need to sort of revisit some of that even for the sake of my own soul because it felt like it was... Everything God does in our lives, the seasons aren't always going to be clearly marked. And I know that it can be things can be just really ambiguous and grave for a long time. But that was one of those rare times where it felt like I just kind of there was sort of a radical shift. I was um, I'd gone to Ireland. That would be November, not of last year, but the year before. So I guess that's 2018. And uh, being the massive U2 fan that I am. U2 was playing four shows in Dublin. The end of the tour, uh, I, I went to every show by myself, and I found just enough kind of speaking stuff to do to essentially like pay my way to get there, not to make any money or anything, not trying to, but just enough to like get myself there. And it and it felt like I was something I was supposed to do. Um, I had been living in Nashville for a short season, only ended up being there for about ten months, which is a good time, but it felt like you know. I had been on this whole journey, and of course, the Shipwreck book came out in 2016, and uh, I don't know, I think I thought I was kind of living into the new thing. I think I thought that's what I was doing. And there was just this really singular moment, I think it was the second night of U2 shows I went to, where the band's playing the song, a great song of Octane Baby Called Who's Gonna Ride Under Wild Horses, which is a great song, but never one that's like connected to me. Like kind of on a spiritual level, I just think it sounds cool, but it gets the uh, the point in the song where Bono is singing, "Don't turn around, don't turn around again, don't turn around and don't look back," and I just was so overcome by this sense of the presence of God, I just started weeping. I was just, and, and it felt like so directed. And it's like in that moment, I was able to see that a lot of what I had been living, not that it wasn't. Good or helpful or important, but was still being directed one way or another by the past. The past was still looming over everything, and just this sense of like, no, like I'm I'm calling you to do something new, and I'm carving out new space for you, and like stop turning around. And it was just, it just felt like there was this inner shift. I think there was something even profound too about because I know a lot of people think this is crazy, and maybe this is where I'm the ultimate only child. But there was something wonderful about going to those four concerts all by myself, no friend. Uh, no love interest. I mean, it's just me at this show and having the time of my life, just feeling connected to God and to the music. It's felt really important. So what was wild about that is that um, at the time, because I've had other times, so I feel like God spoke to me prophetically somehow or something. You never know that's going to play, but I had no plans to, to do anything. And yet like almost as soon as I got back, Um, I developed this constellation of relationships in Oklahoma city, the table in OKC had basically already started in a small group form. And by the time I get to January, I'm like neck deep in these conversations of like, why don't you come here and help us do this thing? And I'm thinking, well, why would I not? I have no reason to say no to this right now, uh, because the things in my life were just that open-ended, but I definitely don't think that could have happened without having that space kind of carved out in me, which I think was what that was about, this sense of like, and even I thought the scripture came to me of like, uh, behold, I'm making all things new. It really felt like some old things were passing away, and it's just time to write a whole new chapter. Maybe the thing I most learned in all that, though, is that I think that process of death, whatever metaphor we want to use, deconstruction, whatever, actually takes a really long time, and I kept thinking, I'm done with that. And in reality, I just think I wasn't. The reason why my third book is not out yet—that's taken me so long—is I think like I really needed to live more into this kind of resurrection and not just talk about it. Because uh, I feel like every time I try to write, even it sounded like shipwreck 2.0. And uh, that's part of what's been interesting about it is that while there's been plenty of challenges, I feel like there's also been that like kind of an invitation to like joy, like of uh, it's okay to live into the new thing. And just own that and not always be looking back over your shoulder. But I don't know, I just think that process of death, dying, descent, grief, that stuff has to work on us for a really long time. And as much as I kind of wanted to fast forward in the news story, I think prior to that time in Ireland, I just kind of wasn't spiritually quite in a place yet where I was ready to do that. Yeah. And not to overanswer your question. No,
0: there is no overanswering on the podcast. <laughs> That is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I love that. Even uh, you know, we're recording this just ahead of Easter. Um yeah. you know, it'll air later, obviously, but I've been chewing through, you know, even in, in my church tradition, it's like we don't dwell on Good Friday on, on Jesus being dead. No way. We've got to wrap it up because we need to get another altar call in there. And so Jesus has to be alive. So we skip straight to Sunday. Yep. But there are other traditions that take their time in the death
1: mm-hmm. and, mm.
0: and the longer you spend in the death, the, the more work it does.
1: Absolutely.
0: Which I guess means more can come to life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the, deep,
0: the deeper, the death, the, the, the richer, the revel- the resurrection. How about that? <laughs>
1: well, that's so good. That's so good. Cause I think what happens is that the things in us that are dead you know that reaches into a lot of different spaces, and I think you know it, it's easy to think at the time that maybe God just wants to do sort of a superficial restoration. There's nothing wrong if that happens, but I know like in my life, I feel like at this point it wasn't about some kind of superficial restoration. This was more like, no, this is taking the old thing out mm-hmm. and replacing it with something entirely new. And I just think that takes a really long time, and it is hard to sit in the grief and not try to, and especially for somebody like me, who at least part of my living is as a writer, you know, you kind of want to write your way out of it, like almost script a story, a redemption story that just kind of feels good to me. And I think like, you know, I think in real life, the, the 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 process of going through the descent, the grief, and the dying is a lot wilder than that. Like you don't get to dictate it. <laughs> you don't get, Well, I'll die today. Good Friday's over. And now I'm just kind of stepping into Easter. I think sometimes it has to happen a lot more organically and a little more violent than that, maybe.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Wow. That's so true. I've just, fin- I've just finished writing this devotional where, I've, where that includes all these guided meditations. Mm. And and writing it has been so weird because I'm like, I don't know where the reader is going to be at. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I can rush them on or if they need to hang back and wait uh yeah so yeah i i i tried to just come up with kind of like a middle road uh to be like hey listen you've got permission to to hang around here as long as you like um but yeah that's real okay so so you move to okay to to oklahoma and you're you take on the the pasturing this community what's just for those of us who don't get to see the the lived reality what's it like what's what's what are your gatherings like? How, how many people, what do you do? What, what kind of liturgy have you created? Like what's, describe it to us.
1: Well, it's interesting because it's on the one hand, I think it's very unsexy and not glamorous and so far that we've never had more than a hundred people. I mean, we're uh, a community of probably, you know, maybe all told if everybody's there it's 70 or 80 ish kind of people. And, um, you know, to be something that's not glamorous, it's so, I mean, it's so wonderful. I think the the, multi, the multi-ethnic character of it, the fact that I've kind of is, uh, I like to half-jokingly say, but it's so true, these badass women of God and women of color who I'm in leadership with, and it's very shared in that way. Um, it right now is still basically a labor of love uh, for us, but uh, gosh, it's just been really, really sweet. I mean, on the one hand, it's like, Part of what I love about it is that, and I'm not against any kind of institutional expression, but I feel like right now it still is pretty simple. Uh, A lot of the folks who are in leadership at the table are already doing really extraordinary work in the city, so we have had a sense that we need to reinvent all that, but more like want to just connect people with these these good things that the Spirit's already doing. But like our Sunday gatherings, you know, they're sort of, um, we have a basic liturgical structure that probably, I guess that would technically be sort of like a right to... Episcopal kind of liturgy in a very very loose form, but I also think we're um, uh, kind of a. I mean, it it is a fully functional Pentecostal church, and people really do pray for each other. And if they feel led to pray for healing or have some kind of a word, would certainly feel comfortable doing that. It's it's an interesting experiment right now because I feel like being in Oklahoma City, just the very buckle of the Bible Belt, everything come, hits here a little slower. So I think like. People are going through a journey of kind of deconstruction or whatever phrase we use, but that's happened a little slower. And uh, we're, we're just, man, we're just kind of in the thick of all that. So I think culturally, you know, just to the emphasis we have on justice, or CeCe Jones Davis, our teaching pastor, has been on a national level, has got a lot of recognition for the work she's doing on the death penalty and on the, the story of, of one particular man in our state, Julius Jones. And so we're leaning in. I mean, that's super weird to do in Oklahoma is to talk about the death penalty. But, you know, there's also a wonderful kind of freedom to it and something that feels just very authentic and uh, in the most non-cliché I use the term, like very pure and good that I just love. But, you know, my life right now in terms of what it looks like is, you know, it's uh, trying to really pastor folks and care for them where they are while still doing a lot of other writing and podcasting and sort of trying to cobble together a life in the midst of all that so it's it's full but but really really rich to do mm. has it been hard it is it has been very hard in fact i've been surprised that kind of like this year has been as hard as it's been because i think i don't know especially when you write a book called how to survive a shipwreck you know the, the sense is like well all that stuff's in the rear view mirror so i know i mentioned off air i've been joking with my friends that now shipwreck feels a bit like beach week i was like oh you mean like spring break <laughs> like yeah. And I think part of that was that um, when, you know, in walking through some really painful things in terms of personal shifts and uh, divorce was part of that, uh, just trying to, there were a lot, there were a lot of things to try to figure out. But I think in the midst of all that, I I still had a bit of my kind of um, youthful optimism. There was still kind of a naivety that stuff is just going to work out okay. And I think, you know, in the last few years, there've been a number of times where I feel like God spoke to me in some way, or I I was glimpsing something that just none of it has come to pass the way I, the way I'd worked out in my head. And the fact to feel, to still feel like things were a struggle and kind of come to come to that place of like, wait a second, I think God has called me, but where are you really? I think it just kind of hit a much deeper level of sort of despair in all that. But I also, um, and not trying to put a spin on it, I really do think there's something in the mercy of God in that too, because I think I can still realize how, even, even in all that, there's still a part of me that's still trying to kind of live on ego or coast on stuff that's just kind of worked before, and I think I really needed to get to a place of more radical dependence and, and trust, and that's what this this season has kind of forced in me. It's it's not been easy at all, but it's been deeply, deeply good, and to have the kind of conversation we're having today, where. You you feel seen and known and feel connected. Like I keep meeting more people like that, where we're kind of making sense of our own journeys through the kind of conversation we're having with each other. Like you know, I wouldn't trade that for for anything. But it's definitely not the same as like classical kind of evangelical success. Hey Doc, what you're running on Sunday? What's the give? Like you know, in terms of like all those kind of markers. No, it's been it's been a fight to carve out this kind of space here.
0: Yes yes i i've wrestled i've I've faced that down so frequently that like God gives us a glimpse of something and it yes. seems super great and we get like a taste and then we get to the work and it just sucks, and it is yes. not what we anticipated
1: um
0: i've i've for me I've come to the point i don't know how this lands with you where it's like it feels like I think God what he does is he sovereignly pulls back the curtain yeah to give us a a glimpse of something, some future yeah. state, some reality, yeah. even I think in ourselves. and I, I would boil. This, I would bring this down even to the level of like you go to that conference and you get pumped up and you get your breakthrough yeah. only to get plunged back into the realities of life. And you feel yeah. like, oh, I've lost it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think we then get to like work for it.
1: Yeah, that's right. Like that's that, right.
0: that we we claw out that space. We yeah. do the hard work, because then it's of value to us.
1: That's right. Because
0: it's not valuable if it's free.
1: That's right. Yes, yes. And it doesn't negate the authenticity of those experiences. I think so often when I've had that happen to me, my first thought is, "Well, that must have just been in my head. Nothing really happened. You're you just made that up." Or, well, now I don't think that's the case at all. I think those experiences with God that we have on a retreat or a conference or wherever it might be like they're they're very real it's just it but it's it, it's just a very different thing than having to have these things sort of incarnate in fleshed in our lives that's, just that's a very cool kind of process but it doesn't negate the value or the beauty of one but yeah trying to like live those things out and kind of live fully into the new thing yeah it's it's, it's just a very different conversation
0: so I'm i'm drawing a thread already in my mind from you know we we go through death we enter death and the and death takes longer is what we've vocalized. The dying takes longer and goes deeper than often we you know, it's um it's the voyage of the dawn treader. Mm-hmm. Y- you can't cut yourself deep enough.
1: Yeah. Only
0: yeah. only the lion can come and cut you deep enough.
1: That's right.
0: Uh and, and so then there's this embodiment that has to take place.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: As we're like, we're, we in, we in flesh. It's like we appropriate the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. In our own lives. The resurrection is a gift that we haven't mm. worked for, but we, we in it in our lives and maybe in our communities. Yeah. That's fascinating.
1: It is. And I think like I've actually, being Holy Week, I've been thinking about that again, even just in the last 48 hours, like this notion that resurrection is simply not up to us. (laughs) And uh, which which is discouraging in a way, but also is really liberating. Because I think like, you know, there's this sense when we think like, I want to sort of resurrect myself or resurrect this thing in my life. Well, that's actually beyond my pay grade. I think all we can do is be willing to, um, cooperate with Good Friday, uh, cooperate with death, like be willing to do that and not resist it. Mm -hmm. And I think if we do that, then inevitably there is a pull, kind of a gravitational pull, like into resurrection, but you can't force that. You can't fast forward it. And, um, reading more books or, uh, I don't know, going to more small group gatherings or whatever, other even good practices we do, doesn't necessarily make that happen any faster. So I feel like for me, it's been like this delicate journey. of. I still think we kind of have to participate in it, but participation looks a lot more like letting this happen to me and letting it happen all the way down, being willing to, I think of now one's language that way, kind of drinking the cup all the way down. That's all I can do. Because in terms of like, you know, resurrecting stuff, coming back to life, Life on the other side of death. I can't manufacture any of that.
0: Yeah, seriously. But oh, would you? Would you if you could? Like, <laughs> I've got these people in my community that I would really love to kill and resurrect. Like, yes, that would be great if I yes. could just yes. do that to those people right, right now. Right. <laughs> how's your How's your community uh, dealing with, with COVID and and with lockdowns in this this cultural
1: moment? You know here's the thing i feel like it's my uh default on anything because it's and it's sincere to like to be more um self-deprecating whatever but i tell you in terms of like our community i feel like our community is like shockingly strong right now and i think it's just because the core of what we've been building there is so relational part of what's been very sweet for me is feeling like you know i'm not having to manage it for people to kind of hold together because i think it, you know, there's been a little bit of trying to facilitate that through some of it's through Slack. Obviously, a lot's happening like through the Internet right now. But it's been very moving to me the way our folks are kind of holding together uh, kind of in the midst of all this. It's almost like um, for all the disadvantages and challenges of doing some of the way that we've done it, because sometimes I feel like in terms of like anything like church planning, None, none of how we do anything is smart. <laughs> none of it is like, uh, pragmatically probably like seems great. But I feel like we're built for a moment like this, because the relationships are real. And now, of course, people are really struggling, like so many people in our community already have been laid off or lost their jobs. But I feel like even in that, you know, um, it's kind of nice that we don't have some big institutional structure, because we are able to facilitate is it. okay, well, let's just let's have real honest communication with each other about what our needs are and seeing the way that people are, are 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 coming to help each other in that without there being some uh real institutional process or system to any of that has been really really beautiful so actually like under the circumstances like the community is actually doing really great it's being exactly what it's called to be i think
0: mm. my my grandfather uh this just comes to mind he was like charismatic in like the 60s like way ahead of the curve and got kicked out of a bunch of churches and then basically started doing kind of like lived community with with a bunch of like-minded believers and they bought a bunch of land and had their own homes but like on a larger shared property but on his on his deathbed he and i spent like the last seven days together and it was Mm -hmm. really powerful and rich one of the things he said to me, because he'd been then later in his later years wrestling with institutional church and, and how we do, it. and he'd been a lay minister and been involved in all these different kinds of contexts. And he started reading some of the house church books later in his life and kind of like pagan Christianity, Frank Viola, kind of wow. re redoing some of that. And and he said to me, I think what we did wrong out here in this community experiment was that we all kept going to church and our and our churches and we were never were forced to find something new relationally with one another. And and I don't say that to be any kind of slight on the church communities that that, that they were a part of. But it was, you know, yeah. his kind of looking back at the end, I don't think we dug as deep as we could have because we yeah. didn't have to. Yeah. And that's just what's going through my head right now. Like, we have been forced here to dig deep. Yeah. And to figure some things out. And, and maybe, like, maybe, maybe this is the cut of the lion where we haven't been able to cut ourselves as a church community deep enough. You know, we know that we're the priesthood of believers. We know that we don't need to be pastor centric, that we have all this stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm watching, you know, stuff I've preached on and stuff we wish that our community embodied but that just didn't have to. Yeah. Suddenly have to.
1: Yeah. I I I think that's so important. And as much as I don't want to gloss over, of course, the amount of real suffering, pain, trauma people are experiencing. Either Absolutely. Who are infected with COVID-19 or the economic devastation, like all that. I'm not, Absolutely. again, trying to put a smiley face on something. But I tell you what it makes me think of even that language of how it's forcing us to because it is, it's forcing us. I do feel like in a weird way, because I'm seeing this in a lot of directions, there is something kind of liberating about it. I mean, I I haven't thought about this book or this story in many years, but I think it was in Kathleen Norris's book, The Cloister Walk, where she talks about um, these monks that she knew, kind of like taking them to Walmart uh, when they never went to Walmart, and them having the experience of coming to the cereal aisle at Walmart for the first time in years and it just being awful, like this, it was paralyzing, because it's like now, oh wait, there's like 200 different kinds of cereal, and I have to pick, which like the actually being like, you know, being like this really kind of overwhelming thing, and I feel like that's kind of more like the way we've been living, like the constant, just the, the constant sort of ability to sort of choose our own reality is is draining, and it's complex, and psychologically, I think like, And oftentimes we choose things that, of course, that are not good for us. And we become addicted to all kinds of things. So I think there is kind of a weird grace in sort of being forced. (laughs) Right now, there are not infinite options. And people are being forced to have certain kind of face-to-face conversations they wouldn't have had anymore. And people are forced into a kind of uh, solitude, in some cases physically, that doesn't come uh, easily or natively to almost any of us, and yet we're kind of we are being forced to find some of the treasures in that so I don't know I think that like, there is kind of a, re- a weird grace sometimes into being backed into a corner and not really having options. I think there is a weird grace at work at that,
0: yeah yeah and and as and as you said let Lord, let the grace not run out, like let it be in our finances and let it be in our our families. Yeah. This morning I was just like god I'm I'm running on empty. Yeah. I've done all my practices. I've done everything I know how to do to mm-hmm. to be on top. And mm-hmm. I'm on the bottom today. And I'm yep. just like god, god we need that grace in every sphere.
1: Right, that's right. Yeah. No, I feel that and I think being able to acknowledge that when when the days are when it's not working and you're exhausted and out of it, I think that's important to be able to say. And I've had a number of days like that, too. But it just, um, I don't know, I think like even in that, kind of getting to the end of our own resources in that way, gives us the opportunity to discover things about God and ourselves, and maybe even the people around us that that we wouldn't otherwise discover Mm is what grace can come when we're at the end of our resources. So again, not like to make that just cheery or something because it is it is hard. And I think sometimes like, oh, gracious, like I just think as much as anybody else right now, I'm thinking even short term, like, man, where am I going to how is this going to work even a month from now, two months from now? Can we sustain this? Like all those kind of questions are are pressing. But it's like there's a something about that fundamental simplicity where you realize, okay well, I may lose this, this and this. But, you know, maybe I don't need maybe I don't need as much as I thought I needed. In order to still function, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this crisis right now is such a great equalizer. I've, I've been fat. I keep thinking about there have been a number of conversations like this. But for me, the, my favorite juxtaposition was this. I'd gone to our local Seven Eleven and a guy there at a gas station and a guy there in his probably mid-20s has visited the table a couple of times. And he said, like, man, Jonathan, I'm just so grateful right now that I have job security. Like, I know that I'm going to be all right kind of during this and having the. Opportunity within a couple of days of that of talking with um, a couple of folks I know have had pretty significant wealth and influence who are pretty sure within the next few days or weeks They're going to completely lose Absolutely everything like lose losers like done like out <laughs> And so like man my friend like at the Seven Eleven, is like man I'm so grateful right now that I've got a stable job, and I'm gonna be able to make it through this and, and here's folks who've had like who, who've had kind of a lot We're looking at basically like real destitution, depending on what kind of work, what kind of industry you're in and that kind of thing. So such an equalizer in that way. Mm.
0: That's so weird, eh? I mean, but that's death. Yes. The great equalizer. That's right. That brings us all low. That's right. Hmm.
1: Yeah, who cares? If You have money, if you have power, if you have this, or whatever, like you know you're really there's really no way to kind of just soar above something like this, and I think that's the part for me without wanting to be gluttonous about not gluttonous about anybody else's pain, but it's been very refreshing to to me is that I do feel like I'm sensing and feeling a lot of vulnerability from people who otherwise don't aren't in a position to ever have to be vulnerable, and of course, I think that there's good and beautiful things that come out of that,
0: oh, for sure. For sure, I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's been so bizarre. As my wife and I have, you know, kind of trying to regroup every day and look at, at this crisis and how we're doing with the kids and the family and her workload and, like, we've been in a financial disastrous position for like a year. So on the surface, the financial woes of this are not new for us. So that's felt like, oh wow, cool. But that's been a, uh, that's been that invitation. And that that vulnerability that we've had to develop over the last year of just trusting God. Yes. And, I mean, my plea, I guess, for all of my friends is, A, God let this pain cease. Yes.
1: Come Absolutely.
0: and rescue us. Mm-hmm. But let it be profitable if it can.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Like so good.
0: at least let it not be for nothing, like Absolutely. you know. At least let it accomplish its goodness.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's such a what wonderful things to pray. Like yes, God, if at all possible, we want relief and healing for our friends, we want people to be well. But if not, then let's not waste. Let's not waste this moment. Let's see what what God does have for us in the midst of these things. Because I do believe, as a person who doesn't think that God causes things like this, I do think that. It's kind of God's most basic job description to bring beauty out of brokenness. That's what God's always doing. So yes. surely there must be something in the midst of all this pain redemptive that's happening if we're, if we're open to that.
0: Jonathan, would you pray for us that we would have eyes to find that, Yeah, what God is doing redemptively all around us?
1: Mm, I would love that. Well, God, as we just welcome your presence, I'm just so aware, even in this moment, how this conversation with Jonathan um, opens my eyes and puts me in a posture to see and to hear better than I was able to see or hear even a couple hours ago. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, We know that you are always at work, and we know that even in the midst of, trauma and pain and suffering of all kinds, that there is always something wild and beautiful and new that that your spirit is doing in the world and doing in our lives. So God, I do pray for anybody who's listening right now, just that you would open our eyes to be able to see those things, which you really only can see by your spirit. I think so many of us right now understandably are in a place where we almost want to beg you to change our circumstances, and yet it just seems so much more like you, Spirit, that um, instead of immediately changing our circumstances, you want to radically alter our perspective on the world that we're living in now, to be able to come to see the people around us and the suffering around us, the world around us, in a different way, the way that you see it, the way you see us. So, God, I just pray for the grace right now of just that you would uh, just just heal our eyes in that way to be able to see what it is that you're doing, to be able to discern something of the good purposes that you have in the midst of these things, that none of this is about punishment, that none of this is about uh, teaching anybody any kind of lessons. But yet there really is a way, God, that you want to make yourself known and that maybe even something of this pattern of death and resurrection um, that we can know that the truth of this and the truth of the life that you have for us on the other side in a deeper way that we could have before. So just give us the grace and give us the patience. To kind of see this process through, even though we're tempted to fast forward, even though we want to rush ahead, even though we want to find maybe even find meaning a little too quickly. I just pray that you would give us the grace to sit in all this a little while longer until you're able to reveal yourself and reveal your heart to us in the ways that we need to see. let ask this in name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: and that was the one and only Jonathan Martin thanks so much for being on the show man this was such a gift to me I hope it was a gift to you all listening make sure you go and check out the Zeitcast make sure you go to patreon.com slash Zeitcast if you want to support Jonathan and the work he's doing it is well worth your investment and uh, go and grab his books How to Survive a Shipwreck and Prototype I mean obviously he has this beautiful deep rich voice but his prose is at least as beautiful and deep as his voice. It reverberates just like his voice does. So uh, go and get his books. Make sure to follow him on social media. And I will see you all next week.